Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis on how the devil can trap us. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we thank you so much for gathering us together, Lord, and we thank you for being our teacher this morning as we want you to. We know ourselves this morning. We know it's so easy, Lord, for us to come to a passage like this and, and to ask Eve, how could you be so dumb? But, Lord, we know that but for the grace of God, we'll go there. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that, that they'd help us open, Lord, our blind eyes and, and uh, unstop our deaf ears, Lord, and, and warm our cold hearts this morning that we might hear from you, Lord, as we study your word and, and retain it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, uh, look here as we go. We're going to be looking again at this, this very instructive passage here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree uh, of every tree in the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the free, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. We saw last week the importance of certain words that appear within this passage here because they really instruct us. Like the words in verse 1 where it says, He said unto the woman, now here's the serpent, and we've already seen how he's carefully planned out. These weren't just words that he pulled out of the air and what he said here, but he's carefully planned out the death of Eve and then of Adam through Eve. And so when it says here, he said unto the woman, you can see this direction, you can see the arrow-shaped head of the snake, of the serpent, serpent as he's zeroed in on Eve here, focused in on her, locked on her, as it were. And he's got this, and because he's got present for her, in his concealed fangs, he's got poisonous venom, and he's just waiting for his time to strike. And so he's drawing her in, but he's hunting for her. She doesn't know it. Like in Proverbs 6.26, it speaks about the whorish woman. It says, for by means of a whorish woman... A man is brought to a piece of bread, and then it says, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. See? So with those words, and he said unto the woman, we can see the hunt is on. And the Satan, through the serpent, is hunting for the precious life. That's Eve. 
And she's going, she's going, she's following along. Just like it says in Proverbs 7 about the man who follows the adulteress. It says, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her words, lips, she forced him. And he goeth after her straight away. And it says, till a dart strike through his liver. He wasn't expecting that. He didn't see it coming. But the dart was already set out for him. And says, as the bird hastes to the snare, and knows not that it is for his life. So he was totally unaware of what was happening. That's Eve. Totally unaware of what's going on here. But we're seeing in this chapter, Satan used much fair speech to cause Eve to yield. And the serpent then setting off that dart into her liver, and she has no idea. So let's see more what happened. First of all, the serpent has to get Eve within striking range. He's got to get her there. And this he does through suggestive words. Very interesting suggestive words. First he puts out this question. Not just any question, but this question which is designed to insert something into her mind. What's the question? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Those words we saw turned Eve's mind by the suggestion of it to a negative spirit. I can't eat of any tree of the garden. It's a negative orientation that he gets her in. He's pointing her, you might say, to a religion of negativity. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of negativity and criticism. You know, that spirit will choke, will choke you and me out of the joy that God gives. You, well, yeah, well, well, you know, that Benny Hinn, let me tell you what's wrong with him. You know? And Joel Osteen, don't go away, I got a lot to say against him. And those Roman Catholics, oh, boy, let me tell you what's wrong with them. And the abortionists and the evolutionists, Mormons and JWs, and, and, and on and on and on. And, and I haven't seen you say amen, so I'm worried about you. <laughs> All right? <laughs> that's a critical negative spirit. And that, once it starts, it just finds fault everywhere. And it's looking for fault. And when a critical negative spirit comes in, there's something wrong with everything. And, it gets, and it's not long before God gets the blame. Oh, you can't eat of any tree in this garden. Oh, that's bad God. Put you here like that. Well, sin can always be traced back to what you believe about God. What you believe about God sets you up either to sin or not sin. And so what he's doing here is he's manipulating her to believe a lie about God, that God is not good. And that's what he's got to do in order to set her up to sin. If you believe God is good, you won't sin. If you believe God is evil, you'll sin. Just that simple. In Genesis 39, 9, you remember when Joseph was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, and then what he said? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, that's Genesis 39.9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I believe God is so good, I can't do that against his person, against him. In Matthew 7, when the Lord was speaking to those who had to depart from him, he said, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you that work iniquity. What does that also mean? I never knew you, you never knew me. What, so you, what are you doing? You're committing iniquity. And you remember when the, when the one person who had received the, the one talent, and he went and hid it, which was wicked of him, and then in Matthew 25, 24, what happened when he responded back to the Lord, he said, I knew thee. He said that. I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. He didn't know God at all. He didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, but he said he thought he did, see? But because of what he believed about him, he did wrong. It's very important what a person believes about God. So those four words are very, very important. That, that, I mean, those words that he said to her, you know, well, you just can't from any of the garden, you know. Then in verse 2, Eve responds back. And that's the big, big problem. Eve had no business talking after the first comment that he made. She should have said, you don't sound right, and left. But she didn't. But, and the problem is, and the woman said. That's the problem. That's what it says in verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent. That's a big problem. Conversing with the deceiver, see? And we contrast that with what the Lord Jesus Christ said in his temptation. Remember? Get thee behind me, Satan. She says in, in verse 3, well, we, we just can't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the midst of the garden, the, tree, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. She doesn't name it. She just says, well, this tree, which is in the midst of the garden, it's right here in the middle of the garden. How inconvenient that it should be in the middle of the garden. And it's, it's, since you've got me on this negative spirit now. And furthermore, God says you can't touch it. Well, that's not fair. It's right there in the middle of the garden. i got to walk around it every day. What if I trip? What if I fall? What if I accidentally touch it? Then what? I die? But I can't tell you how many. Uh, it's an addition. It's clearly an addition. It's not what God said. It's an addition to what God said. And it's not what God said. And I can't tell you how many of my dear Orthodox Jewish friends will say something from the Bible, which is true, and then in the same breath say something else. It's like, it's not in the Bible. You know, like, for example, last week we were talking about, and I said, and Moses saw God with the 70 elders on Mount Sinai. And the Orthodox Jewish man said, yes, he saw God. And he said, and God was wearing tefillin, he said. (laughs) I said, I don't remember that. (laughs) I don't even know why God would wear tefillin. But anyway, (laughs) he has to keep his word in front of him. But it's an addition. It's an addition. Eve said lest you die. She said, lest you die. That's not exactly the same of what God said, is it? In, verse, in chapter 2, verse 17, you look over there, you see chapter 2, 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, lest, uh, what do you see, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, see it says here, surely die, surely die. Literally, it's reading, in dying, you'll die. It says dying twice. In dying, you die. That's a very special form of double emphasis. It's like saying, in eating, eat, which is what I always did. <laughs> and putting on your coat, put on your coat. 
picking up after yourself, pick up after yourself. All right? It's a double emphasis. It's a particular form. You only find that in the Hebrew language. It's only in Hebrew language. And it's called the JMF form. It's the Jewish mother form. <laughs> because Jewish mothers are the only mothers in the world that do that. They say things twice. They overemphasize they emphasize twice. See? So this is the Jewish mother form where God says, in dying you'll die. See? There's other places too. With desire have I desired. In uh, talking about Elias, it said he earnestly prayed. That's a, even though it's in Greek, it was still the, he, that form. Uh, he prayed in his prayer. See it many, many times. Okay? So you'll remember Jewish mother form when you see that. Now, verse 4. Now comes the bold statement. You shall not surely die. Now it says you shall not surely die because it's the exact same words as uh, copying from Genesis 2.17. He used dying twice. He said in dying you won't die. Dying you won't die. That's what he said. With those words now, the serpent has now struck. That's the strike right there. All the rest of stuff was getting even position. But here's the strike. Here goes the poisonous venom. First injection of poisonous venom is now into Eve. Like every snake bite, it doesn't hurt. You know, first, it doesn't hurt. Very small little pins. But it's entered. And it's spreading that venom throughout Eve. And she doesn't know. But he just has said with the same uh, double emphasis, you shall not surely die. Just like God. Sounds like God. With that way, Satan has just stepped right into the place of God with those words. Just like God. He used the language of God. You remember that when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness, that uh, he said, if you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made man into bread. He answered, it's written. The Lord Jesus Christ answered, it's written. Uh, man shall not live, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a high, into the holy city, and set up on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith to him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. He said that. And then he said, for it is written. So what's this? Satan carrying a Bible? King James Bible at that? <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> anyway, he's carrying a Bible, and he's talking like God, and he's using the Bible, saying, look, this is what it says. He shall give his angels concerning thee, charge concerning thee, and in their hands shall they bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And so he said, if you use the word of God, I'll use the word of God. So that's why it's so important for us in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study thyself approved unto God. What? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's that mean, rightly dividing the word of truth? That means that this verse about angels taking care of you in case you fall, gets divided over into the in case you fall category, not into the category of throwing yourself off a building. See, that's rightly dividing the word of truth. Tom, you mentioned today several verses that talked about the devil and how he traps men through sexual entanglements. What should a man do when he feels that he is in danger of falling into that trap? You know, that's a good question today because, let's face it, this is the realm that the devil is working in over time. It's very interesting that in Numbers 24, 25, it's it's the end of a chapter there, and it's really talking about the success that Balaam 
uh, did not have in being able to curse Israel. And when you come to the end of this chapter, you say to yourself, okay, he's finished. Let's all go home. Because here's how it reads. And Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went his way. So you would think that with all the efforts, I mean, he had his foot smashed, the donkey talked to him, and he defied the king. Balaam said, okay, I give up. There's no way I can bless these people, actually. There's no way I could curse these people, actually. I ended up having to bless these people. And you'd think that he just went home. But that's because we tend to stop reading at the end of that chapter when really we need to go immediately to the next verse, which is Numbers 25.1, where it says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So what happened? Balaam realized, I can't curse them, but I sure can trap them sexually. And that's exactly what happened, you know. Well, one time it was a given situation and and uh, I was at a trade show and this woman was speaking to me and I just sensed that it was a, that there was a, a sexual advance and I I just made the statement I said you know um, we all have to die sometime and you know when it, if it ever came down to a place where a man was going to commit adultery it's better to die before doing that. So it's the key here for how a man should keep himself from falling into that trap is to recognize that this is a trap from Satan. It's there to entangle us. It's there to destroy our relationship with God and better die than to fall into that trap. And Tom, most people that do get into that trap often don't sense anything. And they sometimes take their sin and get shut behind locked doors and that it's private and it's no one else's business. No one sees it. What's wrong with that type of thinking? Well, the problem with that type of thinking is it's not true. It's true that people, they go behind shut and locked doors and they think it's all so private and it's no one else's business. It's none of anyone else's business. But the problem is really revealed to us in Judges sixteen twelve. It's a very interesting scene there with Samson because Samson thinks there's only two people in that room, Samson and Delilah, and it reads like this, Judges 16, 12. Delilah therefore took new ropes and bound him therewith and said unto him, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And there were liars in wait abiding in the chamber. See, what Samson didn't know was that in this room that he thought was private, in this room that was locked, in this room that was where the, he thought there was no one else there, there was Philistines in there watching it all. And, you know, that's a very good thing for us to keep in sight because we are never outside of the eyes of the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, the Bible says, beholding the, the good and the bad. And the Lord is everywhere beholding the good and the bad. And so, the, de- the deception is and the delusion is that if I shut my eyes, no one else can see me. And what's so tragic about Samson is that Samson would not use his God-given spiritual sight. And because he would not use his God-given spiritual sight, that caused Samson to lose his God-given physical sight. He lost his physical sight. So it's very, very healthy and good for us to realize that 
in everything that we do that we're in the eyes of the Lord. You know, at, at work here at Scanabodies, we really try to find people who believe that, who believe that, that, that they are accountable to God, that God is watching them. I'm not talking about what they believe in, in, in other parts, even about the Bible that says about salvation, but really in the area that they are accountable to God and they will give an account. That's very, very useful for an employer, and that's very, very useful also to keep ourselves clean from falling into sexual sins. And Tom, today you also mentioned an interesting phrase, which is religion of negativity. Now, I'm sure our listeners understand that phrase, but what is the cure for the religion of negativity? Yeah, the religion of negativity. The religion of negativity is that somehow my religion is to find out what's wrong with everything and to become the chief critic. You know, that's a religion of negativity is to see everything that's wrong and to to preach about this wrongness and preach about that wrongness and think about that wrongness and think about, you know, it it becomes a religion. It becomes a consumption. It becomes an an all-consuming cloud of negativity. And what happens with that is it makes us bitter inside and it drives, us, it drives us down and it causes us to frown and we lose our joy and we lose our happiness and we lose our freedom because we're just surrounded by these tentacles of negativity. And it's a very, very good question. What is the cure for the religion of negativity? You know, David said it so well in the context, in this context, as we look at Psalm 43, 5, because, you know, like I said, when you get into a framework of negativity, one thing you're going to become is cast down or depressed. And when you are that way, it's time to do what David did. He looked at himself and he asked himself the question. It's like he's looking at the mirror and he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? What's the reason? He says, and why, and why art thou disquieted within me? So why are you depressed and why are you restless? And why do you have no peace? And why do you have no happiness and no joy? And then he gives to us marvelously this prescription, this cure. He says, hope in God. In other words, turn from all the things that we're negative against and look to God. And then he says, for I shall yet praise him. In other words, he's saying intentionally with a whole heart, squeeze it out if it has to be the praise to God. In other words, I shall yet praise him. And then he says, He is, God is, the Lord Jesus Christ is, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So in other words, one look at the Lord Jesus Christ and to praise and to worship him brings back the joy that was lost, the peace that was forfeited, the happiness. It all comes back when we look at him and praise him for who he is. It's a whole new focus and orientation into life. You know, one last thing, you also mentioned that our decision to sin is dependent upon what what we believe about God. Now, can you explain that a little bit more? Well, yeah, you know, there's a, a great verse that God told Israel, the Jewish people, in Jeremiah 7.23, and he says, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. If you just see the word obey and, uh, and walk, 
um, and commanded, and you don't see these other essential parts of this verse, then you'll be in a position of not using the belief in God to keep you from sinning. What do I mean by that? He says, obey my voice. He's saying, he's saying associate what I'm telling you with myself. And then he says, I will be your God. You shall be my people. What's that talking about? That's talking about relationship. So in other words, he's saying, as you know me, as you believe me to be good, as you believe me to be a loving God to you, a God who has your best interest at heart, as a God who is only full of goodness, then you will obey me. You will not sin. So he says, associate my commandments. And that's what he mean by obey my voice. And then he says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And it says, it will be well unto you. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like any Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, or videos, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit our websites, israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org. There you'll find free messages and downloads of Tom Cantor videos and messages, as well as free resources to help you learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ and have friendship with Him. And if you'd like to reach someone with that friendship, especially a lost Jewish person, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow.